Welcome to the Consortium Podcast and Academic Audio Blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. I'm Scott Postma, your host, and today we have Daniel Fukushan of Roman Roads in the studio. Daniel, welcome. Wonderful to be here. It's kind of fun that uh, we work so closely together, but have never done a podcast. That's right. Yeah, so I'm really glad that we get to have this conversation today. Daniel is the CEO, of course, of Roman Roads and one of the co-founders of Kepler. And uh, we are really excited for the work of classical Christian education and share a vision for that. But one of the things we'd like to do, Daniel, on our uh, podcast is start by hearing from our guest uh, about your education and what your background's like. So tell us about how you were educated. Well, I was uh, born in France, but have lived in Canada, um, United States, Florida, Alabama, now Idaho, and then of course in France. Um, so we were that traveling homeschool family. Um, and so we're now homeschooling our own kids and that so that they are the third generations. My parents homeschooled us. We're homeschooling our kids. Um, and uh, so that's that we're, we're uh, my home, my K through 12 was homeschooled except for two years in a private uh, classical school that my uh, father helped found in, uh, founded in, in Lyon, France. Um, so I've had a little bit of private education, K through 12, but otherwise uh, was uh, homeschooled all the way, though not classical until late high school. No, that's interesting. So while um, you were in a private education for a couple of years, um, were your parents involved in that school? Yeah, my father founded the school. It was the uh, first and I think only, uh, even to date, uh, ACCS school in Europe. Oh, wow. And and so it was there for five years uh, due to a variety of reasons. It, it's no longer there, uh, but it is uh, it, it was it was our first introduction um, to classical education. Uh, so I had a Christian education and it, the, the reason it wasn't classical is because we were not yet aware of classical education. That was a process uh, my, my father encountered as they converted the school to a classical education. Uh, thanks to Thomas Purifoy, a partner company of Roman Roads is Compass Classroom. And uh, he's the founder of uh, Compass and used to work with my dad in France. And years later, we found out we were both involved in publishing homeschool curriculum, which was a lot of fun. And we uh, partnered up. Uh, that's really interesting. And and it's interesting for a couple of reasons. And I, and I wanted to ask you to clarify something. So um, I've found that uh, folks who are really um, uh, excited about homeschooling, that passionate about homeschooling, that there are a variety of definitions of what that means um, mm -hmm. for people. Some would say, you know, well, it has to be done at home and nobody else touches uh, or interacts with our kids. But in your case, and, and I know this is the case with our own kids when we homeschooled, um, you kind of went with your parents where they were educating, right? Where So right. your dad's leading a school and you're part of it. And would you consider that in some way still, uh, you know, parental agency yeah. homeschooling? Yeah. Actually, let me tell you kind of a, a fun story related to that. Yeah. So an important aspect of Kepler is the, uh, um, you know, we even called it a choose your teacher uh, platform. Um, and uh, it's a, a choosing the teacher, not just the institution or the classes is a real um, unique aspect of what, of what Kepler does. And uh, when uh, my father started the school there, it was a mixture of missionary families and uh, uh, children of businessmen. It was an American education okay. in France. So it was attractive to businessmen too. Um, and so it was um, uh, the first few years of the school, we were homeschooling and 
the president of the school did not put his own children in the school he started. (laughs) And he got some flack for that. Sure. And his response was, you know, we want to provide the best education for our family and our kids. And it was the arrival of a fantastic teacher that we personally knew who was the the humanities teacher and and humanities and Bible. He was my main teacher, uh, uh, Christopher Folkerts, now pastor in Southern Idaho. Um, And when he arrived, my parents that's when they put me in the school. Okay. Um, they yep. were choosing the teacher. They were picky about who was teaching um, their their kids, especially the primary teacher. And so the uh, his, his arrival made that made all the difference. The year before that, we were taking select classes. Uh, so in other yeah. words, the philosophy of of being having that agency, including getting help and being. Um, choosy about the people who are doing the education has been something I very much inherited from my parents and is, was, uh, is it drives the vision of Kepler of Roman roads and our own families. Even right now we do Kepler classes. We do a few local co-op classes. We do some, you know, full, just private, you know, our own homeschool. We are, um, we, it, we are very, um, it, it depends on the child on the class, on the teacher. Um, we believe that parents need to have the ability to choose. Well, the, the interesting part about that, um, and, and I find this really fascinating, is sometimes that looks to an outsider kind of messy in terms of like mm-hmm. it's not lockstep boxed you know, education that all your kids go through. But there is a philosophy here that, that drives this that I think sometimes homeschoolers might feel guilty um, for doing if if they're not conscientious of the philosophy behind it. But the idea of knowing your children, what each child needs differently and where to find that resource to give them the best education. So that's not right. going to be an out-of-the-box necessarily, but it's not, as an outsider might think of it, as this chaotic hobbling, you know, a bunch of stuff together. There is a, a philosophy that's driving that. And so one of the things that I've encountered, and, and I wonder if you could speak to this, is that homeschool families sometimes feel guilty for including other people because now if right. I have somebody else helping me that I'm not really homeschooling, but they don't see that in terms of sports, you know, the right. kids go play, or they don't see it with piano lessons or something like that. But when it comes to math or it comes to, you know, uh, world history or something, that seems to be different for some homeschool parents. Can you speak right. to that? Yeah. Um, so uh, when my parents were get homeschooling us uh, in the 80s and 90s, uh, homeschooling was weird. It was extremely <laughs> countercultural. My mother wrote for a Canadian education magazine, and I believe, I believe it was 1987, or, or you know, it was you know very very early. And um, she um, had to. She brought it out to me recently, and I read it, and it was so funny because she was explaining what homeschooling was, <laughs> like you were talking to a five year old. But this was for an education magazine, and uh, you know, saying. We actually do the work at home. No, we don't go out. You know, like we, we I do lesson plans and, and all the stuff that just is so commonplace as we now have millions of homeschoolers in America. But at that time, it was a foreign concept and there were not materials to do it. And so I believe there was a culture of of uh, uh, out of necessity. Yeah. People felt the need to they had to completely uh, opt out and do it all themselves because to get help, it was a, a all or nothing. 
yeah. by necessity. And so I think that that uh, purist, there was a certain purism <laughs> came, well, I had to do it on my own. There was an <laughs> attitude that crept in, a, it creeps in a little bit um, and is still left over. The, the fundamental difference is not I'm doing it all myself versus getting an institution to do it. The difference is the parental agency. Yes. And so uh, the as uh, we create video courses at Roman Roads, that's our kind of our specialty. And um, that's a kind of an in-between form. There's, you know, you do it yourself. Mom learns about uh, geometry, algebra, chemistry, uh, you know, philosophy, writing, and then teaches each subject to their kids. And in certain circumstances, when if you have no books and you're just I don't know, stuck, stuck. I mean, that's, you, you can do that. Um, and in the eighties, a lot of that is what you had to do. Um, n- now we provide video courses. Kepler provides live online courses. Um, my wife grew up doing homeschool, but with live online classes. Hmm. And, um, and so, and that's very, that is, uh, the parental agency is, is completely involved there. That's the difference. And these other tools that have come about are helping them do that, parents do that more effectively. Uh, so a video course is someone else teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yet most people mostly will be okay. Well, that's all in the home. Uh, live classes are just another augmentation of that. Yes. Um, and and so it's an aid to homeschoolers. It's not handing, handing it over. It can look like that because you can have an online school, uh, school, for example, that really is an online school. The kids are completely at home, but everything is dictated. The curriculum is set. It's an online virtual right, school. Right. And that that's an interesting discussion about whether that's homeschooling. Well, they're at home, <laughs> but do the and the parents, it's private education. That's that's good. <laughs> um, it's not government education. Uh, but that is is um um, that is schooling at home versus homeschooling, as I've heard <laughs> some uh, yeah. people make the difference. Well, it's and it's the, not wrong, but there is a difference there. Sure, the, the distinction is who has the agency, right? right? And so, if if you have somebody helping or somebody that you've brought in, you're still choosing them, and they serve the parent in local parentis, right? Right. They, they serve in the place of the parent for that particular subject or that particular Correct. time. But when you outsource to an entire school, you've adopted the entire school philosophy, or you buy in, right. you know, or you're agreeing to buy into all of it and you're so you're you're outsourcing entirely and you're still maintaining some agency by having them at home obviously um, right. but I and think, choosing that institution yes, you know, that, exactly. that is an important distinction from public education where um, you know the reason we've all this has happened is that we were pulling them out of a place where parents really didn't have agency they were forced to so private education brick and mortar online version of that is still a I think it's important to realize we're, we're all on the same team here. We're giving Christian education, yes. but one is a, is a full in parentis, uh, um, in local parentis, um, versus uh, a full delegation versus a more involved. Yeah, a, a grade a gradation mm-hmm. of of how much you want to outsource and how much not, um, and and every family situation is different. And so we you know we always try to encourage people you know you you're where you are, you can't do anything about that, um, mm-hmm. but you can make steps in the right direction. And and so it may not be the ideal that you anticipate in your mind, <clears throat> but you can do things. So it two things that um, 
you mentioned, I want to go back to just really briefly before we go in and talk a little bit about Roman Roads and what you're doing um, there. But you had mentioned, you know, that it was weird to homeschool like back in the 80s. And I, right. I remember um, in the early 90s, I helped with a private Christian school get started. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just such a weird thing for people to homeschool or to be in a private you know, school. And people would always say something like, you know, uh, if you homeschool your kids and you take them out of the public school, they're going to be weird, right? They're going to be. And then today in 2023 in the public school, they're identifying as cats and having, you know, some schools literally have litter boxes and I mean, just the weirdest kind of stuff. So, you know, that paradigm has shifted immensely, you know, stay in school, you're going to be weird. Um, Right. (laughs) Yeah, it really has. Bring them home uh, where they can actually, you know, have some sense of reality. Um, But another thing, you made a distinction earlier between Christian and classical Christian and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, saying it was Christian, but you didn't know anything about classical to a certain point. Um, What would you say to our audience? What is the difference? Like, is there a difference between Christian and Christian classical or classical Christian sometimes of, you know, those have been inner, you know, they've been swapped. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, A Christian education is an education that... um, is uh, seeking to to put the the, uh, um, the faith at the center of of the education that it, that considers the Bible as the authoritative word of God, um, and and that and there is a real sense in which that is the most in, important thing. You know, mm-hmm. the, um, uh, I don't. You know, um, there is a, a lot of very faithful people who are giving their children a Christian education, um, and it's not classical. Um, but they're doing a good job. <laughs> you know, they're, um, they're, they're honoring God. Um, a classical education is, um, I like to say that classical Christian education or Christian classical education is, um, you know, is redundant. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's true historic education, historic being the kind of the key phrase there, it's going to be both Christian and classical. Um, and so a lot of modern education is uh, modern, including modern Christian education, mm. is um, uh, is is not historic, and so the Christian education is borrowing a lot of paradigms from the modern education, uh, even basing the entire curriculum around the modern transcript, mm. or even the five day school model. You know why why do we have uh, why do we associate school with five days? Um, I I you know to put a Fine point on it. I think that the uh, it's there's practical reasons here and that it would be formulated this way, but ultimately, uh, a lot of moms have to work, mm, yeah, and so that's why we have five day schools. Modern it's an industrial um, uh, model of education that we don't think about in, until we do, and then we go, oh right, <laughs> you know, it doesn't take much to realize, oh, that's why we do it that way, and and you know, it doesn't mean we have it's evil, but it is informed um, from a certain. Um, presuppositions that, that are modern and not uh, historical or classical or distinctively Christian. Um, so the, a classical model of education um, is, is um, if it's tr- truly classical and there's classicists out there that mm-hmm. take issue with this, but it's, I believe it must be Christian. Uh, you can't, if you're truly classical, you're not, you're, you can't get away from the Christianity. You're reading uh, not only the Bible, but the great books, which it is the history of Christendom. Yeah. Um, so a lot of modern Christian education is, uh, I think, um, you know, hitting the fundamentals, but they aren't preparing their children to encounter 
uh, to understand just the depth of the of their Christian heritage, their own Christian heritage. Right. So to to be a a thoroughly Christian education, I think it needs to be um, it needs to be uh, classical, um, uh, especially if you want your children to understand the, their Christian heritage. Yeah. Well, for the very reason you just explained, I prefer. This is not a hill I would die on. This isn't anything I would ever divide over, but. Um, I've heard different expressions, and, and for the reason you were talking about what is purely classicist and, and that mm. sort of thing, I like the term classical Christian mm. um, because I'm thinking what, when, what that phrase brings to my mind is the period of church history where uh, Christianity had animated the classics, right? And right. and so this idea that um, where the incarnation, the gospel, or this this in this animates what classicists were reaching for, right? The virtuous pagans were reaching for something that could not, you know, Paul says it groped toward it, you know, mm-hmm. but in Christianity, we see that Christ comes down, right? And brings it to us, right? So the, the logos becomes flesh. And and so classical Christian is a period in, in, in history where educators were thinking Christianly about the classics, right? And right. so anyway, I mean, you, there's a lot of different ways to unpack that, but but what you just described is, is so important where uh, this reality of the myths, the logos, the, uh, the history, the stories, all of these have virtues that we can see are animated through Christianity or, or you know, answered. So that kind of brings, I, th- I think, a, a good segue brings us around to talking about um, Roman Rhodes Media and um, Roman Rhodes Press now. Um, so talking about starting an education company, because the the core or the staple, I think, of Roman Rhodes Media started out with Old Western Culture. So I'd mm-hmm. like to talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um, but talk a little bit about why did you start an education curriculum company, um, you know, wild Western culture, right. what's the philosophy, what's the drive behind that? So I attended uh, New St. Andrews College and um, the, uh, 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 the I was only going to attend one year because I'd had enough classical education to realize I want to have a good foundation. Mm. Like, you know, I was attracted to it. By the, the end of my first semester, I realized this was the education I wanted, and I want this instead of the business degree I was thinking about. Um, so I came to truly love classical education in college uh, at New St. Andrews. When I graduated, um, I realized that there were some good companies creating curriculum for private schools, and uh, the homeschool components of that were somewhat of an afterthought, an add-on. Um, I actually helped some of them um, create a video course add-on to their mm. curriculum. Um, and I realized that there was a lot of good homeschooling uh, materials that was coming out or already available, but n- not much classical curriculum made for homeschoolers specifically uh, with the homeschooler in mind first. And so that was the impetus to start Roman Roads was to um, – was to make specifically homeschool-friendly, homeschoolers first in mind, um, uh, edu- um, classical materials. Um, so that led to Old Western culture and um, the desire to to uh, uh, give that most important course. There is There was very little, especially for the high school years. A lot of people are surprised that we have mostly high school material. And that's because there were companies that were doing some various materials for the lower grades. And there was mm. almost nothing when we started, um, for the, for the high schoolers that was for, uh, that was friendly to homeschooling. So old Western culture is, um, uh, a great books curriculum that guides you through the great books in a very narrative fashion, 
um, from Homer all the way to Aristotle. Oh. Uh, or sorry, <laughs> Aristotle, that would be the year one. <laughs> from Homer to Aristotle is year one. of It's a four-year curriculum. Homer all the way to the early modern period, Jane Austen, Dostoevsky. Um, the, uh, and, and so this, this uh, Old Western culture, the term is coined after um, a, uh, a term from an essay from C.S. Lewis on the description of times, um, where he is uh, talking about... Um, uh, this was when he became chair of, uh, it's a long title, let's see, literature of for the medieval and renaissance period, I believe yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was talking about eras of Christian uh, or of, of history and how we kind of tend to divide them. And he makes the case that um, there is a, a divide uh, in the early modern period that is uh, um, more fundamental to our world than even the incarnation in terms of how we view the world. Mm. He makes the case that the pre-Christian man and the or, you know, early Christian man, the pre-enlightenment man had more in common in terms of how they viewed uh, uh, the concept of God, the universe, man, what is man, uh, what are we here for, uh, what is the cosmos, and then the post-enlightenment Christian. You know, there's fundamental differences of, of, of worldview and um, how we view ourselves and, and our purpose. And so that, the, that watershed moment of the Enlightenment is, uh, of course, is built on old Western culture. He called that old Western culture. Mm. And he considered himself, he calls himself a dinosaur, one of the old, <laughs> the last uh, dinosaurs of an old era who considered themselves native to this old Western culture. I think he was wrong. <laughs> I think he rebirthed a new <laughs> era of dinosaurs <laughs> in, in the good sense here, um, who, because, uh, partly because of his work, we have so much, we love C.S. Lewis here at Roman Roads. Yeah. <laughs> um, because he really did spark a, a renaissance of the great books, of old Western culture, of classical education. Uh, I think you'd be very pleased to see the rebirth of classical education in the 21st century. Um, we have a long ways to go, but uh, he was not the last breath. I find this really fascinating for a couple of reasons. I want to unpack what old Western culture is uh, because I love the great books. And I remember the first time I heard about the great books and, mm -hmm. and what that meant and, and what it did in my heart. And so when, um, you know, having taught through old Western culture, I, I have a really good concept of, of what it is and what it stands for and, and absolutely love it, by the way. Um, but I want us to unpack that a little bit. But before I do that, I want to go on a digressio. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and the reason for that is you said something a little uh, a few moments ago that I want our listeners uh, to pick up on if they did not catch this. But you, uh, before you went to get a liberal arts degree, mm -hmm. all right, what are you going to do with that degree when you graduate from college? <laughs> all right, before you uh, went to get that, you wanted to get an MBA or mm -hmm. you know you wanted to get a business degree. And the interesting thing is an MBA today. They're a dime a dozen. You know, everybody's getting an MBA and yeah. everybody's giving out MBAs and, and they really um, – and this is this is from the business world, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm echoing what the – this I didn't come up with this on my own. MBAs are a dime a dozen. People aren't interested if you have an MBA, you know, if you're going to go get a business, you know, or go, go into business, nobody cares. Um, but what's fascinating to me is you said, I want this kind of education. And so in pursuing a liberal arts education – and, and this is something that I think speaks to what liberal arts do. You found a business model 
right? Um, meeting a need. So this is a legitimate business model, meeting a need. And the niche is you picked up on a, a particular concept about education um, through old Western culture. And here you find yourself getting a liberal arts education and being a CEO of a company and, and being a biz, starting your own business and, and, and being a business person. And I only want to throw that out there. Um, and I'm sure you've maybe have thought that through, but I only want to throw that out there because for our audience thinking about, you know, my kids want to be an entrepreneur or business. Well, the very best thing to do is get a liberal arts education. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Because you think about the reality, you have the the tools now to think about reality and about the world and about the way business works and, and what, what the, you know, the market to speak Mm -hmm. in business terms needs, what do people need? How are you serving and meeting a need? And it's a very Christian classical approach to business because you are loving your neighbor, serving. And I just wanted to bring out some of those things and they're they're a little subtle and I don't know if if people picked up on that, but it it struck me as you explained that, that, that here is, here is the pathway to being a business owner, a liberal arts education. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So let's turn then back to old Western culture. And um, so, you know, you were explaining that this is a great books, Christian, uh, great books or a Christian approach to the great books. Um, for a particular period of time, and, and C.S. Lewis marks that off. Um, so I'm going to point out the fact that Old Western culture only goes up to the early modern period. Mm-hmm. And why does C.S. Lewis think that this is the watershed moment that you talked about? Right. And then what is specifically, what is Old Western culture as a curi- curriculum? Like what what right. what is it in its nuts and bolts? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, um, to actually... Before I go into that, I'm going to make extra comment on your yeah. digressio. Um, the um, uh, I wrote a, uh, a chapter of a book for the launch of the classic learning test, the CLT, on mm. the history of the SAT, and um, uh, it, it's fascinating to see how corrupt <laughs> its history is. And uh, I do recommend the CLT and over the SAT for uh, those who are getting close to college. Um, but in that research, I, I found one of the cre- early creators of the SAT, Frederick J. Kelly, um, rejected uh, uh, rejected the, the SAT and ended up being kind of rejected by academia as a result. He mm-hmm. realized that it was going to be really destructive. And he ended up, of all places, I couldn't believe it, but uh, as I was following a trail of footnotes um, as the uh, president of the university of Idaho, you know, that's where they send the people they don't like <laughs> anymore, apparently back at least in 1928. Um, but in his inaugural address, he closes his address at the university of Idaho who kicked him out after two years, by the way, mm. they didn't, he wanted to reintroduce classical education. They didn't, wouldn't have it. Um, but he, he saying that college was a place in which to learn how to be educated, not in which a place in which to be educated. Mm. Um, and so he's, he didn't use the word in his, and he digs into this even more. He said, you know, we want to teach the fundamentals and this, and then he, you know, he says, this doesn't just apply to the classics department. This is how to approach engineering. So he didn't use the word tools of learning, but he could have like, that's the, 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 um, it's a fantastic address that I'm hoping to actually republish because it's just a, a a fantastic uh, address about, um, kind of before we were talking about classical education, he was just uh, living it (laughs) um, and underappreciated. So the, 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 that idea of um, uh, education as the tools of learning, education as um, learning how to learn is uh, a big part of what, uh, why I decided I wanted that education versus a degree um, or a specific (laughs) degree. And uh, also what drives old Western culture. So, I'd like to give the definition, two definitions of old Western culture. 
Um, one, uh, the first definition, just very short. It is an integrated great books curriculum. Integrated humanities great books curriculum. So before you give the second definition, what does integrated humanities mean? Like what, what right. when people hear that term, I, I get asked that question all the time. What does that mean, integrated humanities? Right. Um, the integrated humanities means that instead of separating subjects by, um, again, think about that traditional perhaps Christian school you go to, which has English and history and um, philosophy or Bible or religion, you know, there, there's, and then math, um, you have, uh, as and the bell rings between each one, um, an integrated humanities uh, curriculum um, uh, uh, uses the great books to address all of those subjects. And so you're not in, in a, a, a certain unit of old Western culture. It will be going through philosophy, history, um, the theology, um, obviously through the lens of literature. So this is the, uh, we're, we're learning these together. We're not dividing them. That's why we, we, it's a dual credit. It covers on a transcript. It covers two credits, but if you look at a modern transcript, you won't see humanities. Mm. Um, and so be, we will have uh, parents who are sometimes, uh, um, I I'm sad to say shopping by the transcript. This is what we want to push against. They're, right. they're, they're, I have walking through a, a homeschool convention hall. And they've got their transcript from their state requirements, and they see a half economics and a one history and maybe an English and they are, or social studies, and they are walking around saying, do you sell? Do you sell? And, I'm, and, I, and that's a great conversation I've had dozens of times. Well, well, no, we have integrated humanities and they look at their list. Where's humanities? It's not there. Well, I, and what I tell them is you, we need, in order to fulfill, I understand you need to send something to the state. We will disintegrate it. <laughs> for the transcript. So, and there's some leeway there. So, you know, well, definitely easy to put a history transcript, a uh, history credit there, an English credit. You know, there's, there's some art, there's art history woven into the course. You can put an art, half art history credit there. You can, you, parents have a lot of agency when, when they are homeschooling to kind of, um, uh, the, decide where some of those things uh, go, um, but they have to disintegrate it for the transcript. But please don't determine the education of your children by the transcript. That sounds, I mean, what you're talking about, th this sounds in, in terms of the, uh, the training or, you know, the, the implicit um, structure here that, that, you know, the framework, the categories of thought that are in students' mind to shop by transcript um, has been a condition, right? This is, yes. this is, they've been conditioned to think this way versus, which is to conflate process for value, right? This is mm -hmm. to conflate the idea of I go through these steps, take these courses, I get this diploma, I'm educated versus actually just getting yeah. an education. Um, and I, we I have wanna, been schooled, if been I can schooled. quote a certain video that I highly recommend. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's fundamental uh, to, to thinking well for our children's future to think in terms of separating, you know, the, the transcript or the, the process, the degree from getting mm -hmm. the actual education. And, and before you go on and explain your longer definition, because that's important, I'm going to make one very quick, more digressio, and, and I think with the volume of wisdom here you're sharing. Um, I could probably go off on a hundred rabbit, rabbit trails. Um, but I just interviewed a teacher who was looking to bring um, a science class to the Kepler platform. Mm. Uh, he's got a doctorate. I'm going to be very vague here. He's got a doctorate. He's done postdoctoral work. He received a grant um, to um, – <laughs> uh, 
It's a long story, but part one of the reasons he wanted to back up is because it comes from Fauci's institution and he was becoming very, um, uh, let's just say, um, concerned about involvement there. But here's the point that I want to make here. So one of the reasons he's looking to come move into classical education, he's been in academia for a long time um, and he's, he's taught at the college level, he's done postdoc work, um, and he's in a, uh, I want to say microbiology, but but he his doctoral work was on mosquitoes and mm. mosquito larvae. And, and so his grant was he had to stay, basically it was connected to a tenure track to spend the next 20 years researching mosquito larvae um, and mosquitoes. Like it was so specialized that he felt like if I take this money and I take this thing, I, I am so pinned into this one little aspect of reality. And, and this is part of the modern education problem is we become so specialized. Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. And he explained that in the research labs, he said, you literally can be in the same hall with somebody for two years and their lab is next to your lab and you never speak to them. You never have conversations because your work is so and totally yeah. independent from each other. And what you're talking about is with integrated humanities, this is taking reality back to what it really is, all the parts of it, art and literature and history yeah. and theology and philosophy. Right. And I can't help but put a digressio on your digressio <laughs> to, um, to, to plug, uh, and I won't go too much into it because we got a whole article on it, but uh, Dr. Mitch Stokes wrote our Calculus for Everyone course, and um, he wrote an article called What Does Jesus Have to Do with uh, STEM mm. um, that goes into some of uh, some of these subjects. So he, now here we're talking to a guy who has a PhD in philosophy, um, uh, and theology, uh, MDiv in theology and a master's in mechanical engineering with five patents and aerodynamics, if I'm remembering correctly. So, you know, we're, or, uh, you know, um, he, he's, he's not just saying this because he's, you know, he's, he's read some books, <laughs> you know, he has hands-on knowledge and he's read some, a lot of books. <laughs> um, but he, he's, he considers there to be a real crisis uh, going on in the scientific world. Mm. Um, and he quotes a, uh, a physicist uh, uh, named uh, Lee Smolin, a leading physicist who is also pointing to this crisis. And he's not in classical Christian education. He's a physicist. <laughs> um, and he, he says that there's been a siloing of subjects for the past 30 years, such that there we're, we, we've been um, stalled for the past 30 years. Mm. And so he says, you know, the, the kind of education we have is creating um, uh, the um, uh, craftspeople is what he called uh. them. And instead of visionaries. So we're good. We have a lot of people who are really good at their very specific subject. Sound like they're cogs in a wheel. <laughs> yes. They, they've they got the 20-year track on on larvae, you know, <laughs> mosquito lar larvae. Um, but that's creating a real uh, inability in the next generation to do cross-discipline research. So he's saying if we can't um, stop siloing our subjects. If we can't think of an integrated humanities way, if we can't think of a um, uh, in an integrated fashion, we're we're going to not get past some of the um, roadblocks we have in 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 scientific development. Um, and again, another tiny tangent here. There, there's a um, uh, we still have a lot of this humanities. Uh, um, uh, roots in mm -hmm. our education system that we're still sort of benefiting from. Yeah. Um, and there's been, I've read articles about how the, um, uh, the, the Japanese, um, the, uh, the, you know, the Chinese are trying, they're actually trying to become more 
humanities driven because they understand what they don't have. They're very good at copying our technology. Right. Um, why does why is it why is Apple creating all of the uh, and American companies basically creating all of the innovative, um, very human technology to be then beautifully copied right. by foreign countries. They're really good at copying. They're really good at the technical. They're really good at creating very powerful things that are less human. Um, and then, and, and the answer is that the, a lot of the leaders in technology did understand what we're talking about. So our whole education system is pushing one way, but some of our business leaders understand this. Um, so Steve Jobs, when he launched the iPad 2, famously said that it was, I'm going to maybe butcher the quote here, but he said it is uh, by marrying the liberal arts with the STEM fields that allows us to make products that make the heart sing. Yeah. His, his, um, what we call fonts today are, we use them because he took a calligraphy, a calligraphy class. Yeah. That's, that's what gave us. And and he said the liberal arts, uh, I, I, I read an article by Steve Jobs, um, or there was a video, uh, I think mm-hmm. an uh, uh, commencement address he gave. Mark Cuban has written about this. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk has written about this. Mm-hmm. So all of your big figures in, you know, big business and big tech um, are saying liberal arts education is right. what's going to bring us into the future. Right. So the people who are actually making things, the yep. scientists, the engineers, they're saying um, they, they are saying we need something that our modern education system is actively pushing against. Yeah. And so if you want your kids to be the, you know, <laughs> here's the, <laughs> we need a generation of children who are being taught um, in a classical integrated fashion if they're going, we're going to be another generation of innovators and today's innovators are saying the same thing. Well, one of the greatest innovations um, of the modern world was the founding of the, you know, uh, um, the United States of America yeah. <laughs> uh, to segue here. So um, I, I want to uh, just kind of throw that prop up there. I'd love to hear your second definition yeah, then yeah. of old Western culture. Right. So the, so my first definition was it's a, it's a, we unpack that a little bit of classical uh, uh, integrated humanities great books. Um, the, the second gen, um, uh, definition is the one I like to give to people who don't immediately understand the first because maybe they've not been listening to this podcast and following classical education. Um, and it's a very descriptive um, historical explanation um, that I think helps people understand uh, uh, to go back to the uh, you know Christian versus classical. A old Western culture is the education of all of our founding fathers. Yes. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. the, I'll unpack that a little bit, but not just our founding fathers here in America, of the reformers. Yes. It was the education of the reform. If you went past an eighth grade education, it was what we're trying to recover as a classical Christian education. That's just what it was. And the Christian part was assumed. <laughs> um, it was just, it was just education. It was the, 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 um, uh, uh, and it was through the great book. So it was the education of all the founding fathers, most of them formally, some of them informally, but they they were reading these same books um, of the reformers, of the medievals before the reformers, and of the early church, and the cultural soil in which Christ was incarnate. Mm. And that's a huge thing that, that is unpacked in old Western culture as well. I mean, the parallels are shown. You know, there's uh, so much of our Bible this is why pastors need a classical education. Yes. There's so much of our of the scripture, especially the New Testament, that is uh, thoroughly informed by this classical knowledge that every pastor 
except for the last 200 years or so, 100, 100, 200 years, just had in, in comedy. If you read Dabney's uh, 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 rhetoric to his uh, lectures to my students, <laughs> there's a very thorough classical education assumed, and it was part of the pastor's education. Matter of fact, that was, uh, Harvard was founded as a school for ministers. For ministers, yeah. And what did that look like? Well, looked pretty similar to old Western culture. Well, I, I was just reading um, about um, some of the ordination questions when when a minister was being examined for ordination hmm. um, in the 17th century. And I was looking at some of the questions, and it all has to do with the classics. Yeah. Um, I mean, not just the Bible and not just theology, but geography, the classics, uh, civics, like Everything is included in their ordination. This right. isn't just, do you know just this book? It is, do you understand the context in which this book was, you know, we received this book and, and how it applies to, to all of life. So, so this is the kind of education that old Western culture is. Why does it stop? You, you mentioned this a little bit, and I think you alluded to it, but why does it stop in the early modern period, like the primary sources that the students are reading? Right. Um, it's not that we wouldn't, uh, that we don't think that there's good literature to, to write after that. The reason old Western culture stops in the early modern period is that if we were to properly call it old western culture and go further it, we we wouldn't be able to yeah. uh, old western culture is uh it defined as that um in light it, it goes up to that enlightenment period and we overlap a little bit but it's it's to explain that transition but um we believe that it is a uh, essential foundation upon which to stand in order to understand the rest. Okay. So we think it's important to have this before you study the modern literature. Um, you should go on to study more. And and we've we've talked about creating a fifth year of old Western culture that's moderns, I, or, or I'm not sure what we would call it, <laughs> new Western culture, <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the 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 rise of Christendom, the the yeah, <laughs> no. yeah there's there, um, but the idea is that it would be all on a foundation, and and there's a, a post that watershed moment, yeah, and and it's so important to understand how much the world changed and and how much that was uh, we're standing on that platform. And it informs who we are today um, that, that we, we want to separate it at least in, in, in some way. Um, uh, it's, it's the lens by which – it's the tools to understand what's going on today. I like to, to talk about um, um, a practical um, aspect of studying old Western culture in terms of uh, – uh, you might call this apologetics preparing, you know, a lot of Christians are very, very much want their children to have apologetics and, yeah. you know, training. And, and so they're thinking, yeah, but why, you know, so, so why read all this old stuff? I view it as training wheels. So sure. if you take a modern apologetics class, um, this is, uh, you know, stereotyping a little bit, but they tend to answer yesterday's problems with a cheat sheet. Here's the answer. Yes. <laughs> I well, I want to say something about that because that's so good. I'm so glad you brought that up. The the idea of of reading and and I'm going to say a little bit more about this, but the primary sources in old western culture. I've I've taught now several years, I don't know and and, and read through it several times. Um so the great books are primary sources, but you're reading um you know, you're reading Polycarp. You're mm -hmm. reading Irenaeus. You're reading Justin Martyr. Um, so you're actually reading their sermons, their letters, um, their engagement as apologists, right? Christian right. apologists. And so there are certain 
not just content, but also technique, right, that is timeless, that is employed in the way that they approach things so that no matter what comes up, there's a framework of thinking, not just a checklist, mm-hmm. like you said, a cheat sheet that says, okay, what do I say when people say faith and reason are opposed? Like, what's the exactly. answer here, right? But but there's an inherent way of thinking about the world that is gained by reading these sources and engaging with them in these Socratic dialogue um, that prepares a student to think that way. So in a sense of thinking on your feet, it just becomes sort of, you know, it's like language. It's the right. way we acquire language. And so language becomes second nature. If I'm thirsty, I know, you know like, what do I do when I'm thirsty? Do I change a tire? Do I put on my shoe? Oh, no, I asked for a <laughs> drink of water, right? It's not yeah. a checklist. We just know inherently this is what my need is and this is how I communicate it. And and that becomes sort of the enriched um, right. person, the human person uh, that that reads through these. This is what they become. Right. And the distance is helpful. You know, C.S. Yeah. Lewis talks about this, the clean sea breeze, the past, uh, yeah. you know, talking about the reading of old books. Um, but the, um, the, the distance creates um, some safety as well. So there's um, uh, Plato and Aristotle, mm. pagans, a lot of wonderful things to glean from them as well as some real dangers. Yeah. Um, as well as a lot of modern <laughs> dangers that have that you you know you you study Plato and Aristotle in old Western culture and then you you look around in the modern church in the modern culture like, oh I know where that idea came from. <laughs> Suddenly you're able to do that. But by studying the the controversies, you know, Plato and Aristotle as they were wrestled through the medieval period, for example, you're it's not something that uh, you're you're seeing how it's done in an uh, in a way that's a bit removed. And you're, it's, you're not just throwing it all out. Uh, you know, you, in other words, a modern worldview guide will maybe tend towards Plato's all bad mm-hmm. or all good. You, you know, it's right. a, it, you go, you go to your worldview guide and, and it's it, the, 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 uh, the three by five card is Plato's bad. And then you go to college and you hear Plato is the key to everything or you know, something like that. And you're like, well, there's a lot of good there that I'm seeing, but I was told it was bad. You get to have see that wrestled throughout time. Then by studying yesterday's truths and errors you're you've practiced for tomorrow's truths Mm, and errors and taking the good rejecting the bad um so it instead of having that cheat sheet that's outdated the as soon as that worldview curriculum um you know apologetics curriculum was released because it was answering yesterday's problem you've you've trained in the principles so that tomorrow's issue that comes out yeah, you you was like, oh, I've I have not heard that one before, but I've sure practiced on similar ones, right? Right. Because human nature is the same, and, and it's it's funny that we even need to say this, but uh, old Western culture is based on the presupposition that human nature doesn't change. Yes, and uh, and that itself, the idea that you know that assumption. Um, uh, re, re, even even if you came out with just realizing how little human nature changed because you've studied human nature over time uh, and then seeing how it's repeating today, just that is an incredible education. <laughs> it, it, it's fascinating because, I mean, that concept is first introduced at least through, you know, the great books. Um, I mean, obviously we have the Bible and we, right. we know the fallen nature of man, but here's Herodotus in, in recognizing, um, or uh, uh, Thucydides, sorry, mm-hmm. I said Herodotus, yes. but Thucydides recognizing that this is a, a possession for all time because yes. human nature, this comes from a pagan observing human nature. Man, people don't change no matter what circumstance right. there is. They always go, they have a proclivity to a certain direction. But it's not till the modern world that we get this sort of nominalist or subjective view of of humanity that people can change and people, you know, that humanity do not all stay the, the same and, you know, this uh, man's the measure of all things, that kind of thing happening. Um, so 
There's so much good here. I wish we could. I, I, I had a bit just a little yeah. anecdote. I had a conversation with an English teacher from the local high school here here in Moscow. Uh, in met him in the park, um, and uh, he was asking. We had a church event. He was asking what was going on, and we got to talking. And and uh, I, as we were, um, uh, I forget where the conversation got at this point, but I asked actually asked him. Now you're you're an English teacher. You know you you study, um, uh, you teach uh, the the great you know literature and. Which includes the great books, and says, um, you know, what can we learn from these? You know, human, you know, because human nature doesn't change. I kind of just made that assumption, the statement, and he disagreed with me. <laughs> I, said, I, I kind of challenged him on that, and he, and he, it, it, it was a novel. Thought. I couldn't believe that that, that that, but that was a novel thought to him. And he's like, well, not, not really. I mean, it's you know, truth is, you know, it's it's kind of your truth type of, of thing. But I was like, wow. <laughs> that yeah, that. Uh, it is not assumed. We we kind of, it, but. Uh, assume that within our uh, classical Christian education, but we, kids are going out into a world where they're going to encounter literature teachers who think that the value here is whatever it means to you. Right. Right. Well, that, that, uh, that's an enlightenment assumption. Right. And, <clears throat> and one of the, one of the great things that you, you just alluded to a moment ago, C.S. Lewis talks about by reading these books, we can't read books in the future, right? Cause they haven't been right. written yet. Mm-hmm. And we can read books in the present, but they're too close to us. Right. So right. they got political agendas uh, just innately tied to them, but reading the books in the past set us for a picture of the trajectory. And, you know, if Ecclesiastes is true, and I don't say that as though I doubt it, um, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Human nature is going to be the same. And so we can see a trajectory of where something may go. And this is why well-educated people make great predictions all the time when they say, well, if we do this, this is where this is going. Right. They can see the trajectory because they understand. Um, we could talk about this for so long, um, but I want to ask just briefly about some of the other uh, curriculum and, and things that are happening at Roman Roads. But just tell me real quick, um, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is your favorite book um, or piece or, you know, from Old Western culture that students are going to read if they go through it? Oh, you asked the question. It's going to be hard to be uh, short. It's the Aeneid. The Aeneid? Is Virgil's it? Aeneid. <clears throat> well, okay, well, that's the short answer, but I, need, I have to tell you. Why. All right, tell me the long so, answer. Uh, <laughs> the um, you know, so you, I just described old Western culture as the education of the founding fathers, and and um, there. So the founding fathers had a specific love, specific love for the Roman authors. Mm. Um, yeah, the, it said that George Washington had a copy of the Scriptures and Cicero on his bedside at any you know given moment. Um, the um, the I believe that the uh, Virgil's Aeneid, um, which was composed um, you know by Caesar Augustus to uh, Julius Caesar or Caesar Augustus? For the Aeneid? For the Aeneid. For, for Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, yes. okay. <laughs> um, and was commissioned to to kind of revive the Roman spirit to um, um, uh, um, the, to um, give a, a mythology of the founding of, of Rome. Um, and uh, there is – um, it became so much part of the Roman idea, the idea of Rome and the Roman Empire, that it, and it was carried out through the – um, medieval period, um, and to the founding of America where it was loved. And I believe that the, it, it was, uh, I believe it was, um, the, the conservative mind, the author of the conservative mind, uh, Russell Kirk, Russell Kirk, yeah. who, who, who actually really teases this out. And mm-hmm. it wasn't the America, uh, it was the, um, um, uh, it was another one of his books, uh, on, 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 on the founding of America. Um, but he he really teases this out of the, this idea of Romanness being pulled Christianized through the, the medieval period and the Reformation, and then 
being important to the American founding, but I think that there's a case to be made that Virgil's Aeneid is the uh, founding myth of America. Mm. So many of the ideas of of the Aeneid, of the the values of what it means to be an American can be found there. Uh, uh, having grown up in Europe um, and America, time in Canada as well, there's, there's, I've, I, one of the things I've realized is that um, some of the virtues of being an American are not, we think they're universal, but they're not. Um, our, the way we value freedom is downright, downright weird to Europeans. Like yeah. what's the thing, what's, what, what's up with Americans and their, <laughs> um, their view of freedom. Christians might even say their idolatry of freedom and, and it's a danger. <laughs> in other words, there are certain aspects that we've even attributed to virtue in Christianity that are very important but not necessarily as important, you know, if you, that's, again, that's that perspective you get from reading the, um, the past, but, but I do think they're good. In other words, I, I, um, I value the American spirit mm. and part of what makes me value it as, uh, something distinctly American and, um, something that's, that's mine that I've received, um, is, is, is that, that spirit of, of pietas of, uh, but also a freedom of destiny, um, I think it's difficult to truly understand what it means to be American if you've not studied the Roman Empire. And recently there's yeah. been all these things, you know, how, uh, you know, why is Asgard has been, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> and the joke is like, wait, you all think about this all the time. I think there is something about the Roman Empire, about uh, what it means to be Roman that is, that is, uh, um, especially to American men that's just kind of there, whether they've studied the classics or not, they're drawn to it. And it, it's this idea of what it means to be human that was given and adopted through Christ, uh, um, uh, through Christianity. And, and, you know, part of what I mean by this is, is, um, you know, there, uh, Jupiter gives a prophecy to a, to Aeneas in book one of the Aeneid. And he says, I give to you, um, uh, Aeneas, an empire world without end. Mm. You know, there's this idea of destiny. Yeah. Um, and if you're a Christian, you'll probably recognize that phrase because it's in the New Testament. Paul is borrowing these ideas. Yes. So we're not just saying, oh, the, there's these pagans that we just are really attracted to. It's it's something that the 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 uh, the, the 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 apostle Paul and the early Christians um, used that language, adopted that that language to describe the kingdom of God, to describe uh, not um, you know the idea is that there's a valid longing that's placed in man, and then the apostle Paul came and said, but that's not. That's not Rome. That's the church. It's, yeah, you know, exactly. That's not um, uh, uh, the idea of a body you know, um, being uh, um, one body is a, that Roman idea, like the Roman camps and all that. If one part hurt, they all part. You know, Paul uses that language that a Roman would would understand. But these are these are human things. These are human desires. They're good desires, and they're fulfilled in the church. Um, but it, but especially the Amer that American spirit, I think, is 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 derived from the the Roman spirit. We are very Roman. And if you doubt me, just visit Washington, D.C. and look at the architecture. <laughs> yeah. Well, we <clears throat> we talk about that in, in a couple of the classes that when I was teaching Old Western culture about Romanitas, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of what you just talked about, pietas. And, um, but Romanitas is that pietas connected to Rome. Mm -hmm. And there is a sort of Americanitas, right? <laughs> yes. is, we talk about Americana, um, right. you know, but there's this kind of Americanitas that, that comes from, um, you know, it's a philosophy. It's kind of a, an idea that's rooted um, in our heritage of thinking. It's interesting because the, um, uh, the founders did not turn to Greece. 
right? Um, so you you have the model of Greece, you have the model of Rome, and um, you know Athens right. had its democracy, Rome had its republic, and they did turn there. So there is something to that. Right. Uh, and the Americans chose one yeah, over the other, exactly, in a very distinctive way. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't an accident. It wasn't arbitrary. There's something to that. Okay, uh, so man, we could unpack so much there. Tell us uh, just briefly what um, what are some of the other projects Roman Roads is working on right now? What um, and then maybe let folks know where do they find um, you know where do they find this curriculum? Yeah. Uh, so the uh, uh, our I mentioned earlier uh, calculus for everyone that is one of our our newer releases that's really taking off, um, and we have other projects in that vein that, that I can't give specifics of yet. Um, but the, uh, uh, it is a, so we've done the, the, a lot of the classical subjects. We have the, uh, uh, old Western culture curriculum. Um, we have a rhetoric curriculum, um, and, uh, we're partnered with Picta Dicta to, uh, where, where we sell the, the, uh, Latin curriculum Picta Dicta, which is, uh, I think is going to transform the world of, of Latin mm. education. That could be a whole other podcast. Yes. Tim Griffith, the founder involved with that perhaps. Um, so we're very excited about, uh, about those base curriculums and what we're hoping to, to do more of is, uh, the, the, um, uh, uh, in, uh that integrated humanities approach to the sciences, uh, and calculus for everyone was a is a strategic first one that is, it may seem odd as a first math. What, what's your first math curriculum? Calculus, <laughs> and, but there but there is a reason, and uh, uh, the author Dr. Mitch Stokes he views it as his, one of his um, missions is to is to remarry the divorced STEM and humanities, yeah. <laughs> and to reintegrate them. And uh, and he felt that calculus was the ideal place to do that because it, it brings in the history of math. So you're the first pages of calculus for everyone read like a philosophy textbook, and then you are getting into math, but you are getting the entire history of uh, of of the West. Uh, uh, you know, you're getting the starting with the Greeks. You're you're, you're getting um, a a uh, a quick history of math. Math. He he would say the history of math is math, mm. and so. Um, that is uh, the the thing we're very excited about going forward. We have uh, multiple um, uh, standalone books as well, um, uh, and so be watching RomanRoadsPress.com for those updates. Make sure and subscribe to our mailing list there to get the updates on those books, um, and of course the curriculum uh, coming out. Fantastic. Well, there is um, on the consortium blog. There is a, a blog that uh, you wrote a couple of years ago on. Um, uh, I think John Adams to his son about reading his yes. uh, Herodotus. Yeah, if you doubt the 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 uh, uh, Roman uh, classical education of the founding fathers, that's a great source to go to. Yeah, so check out that blog post um, right there on the website, and then RomanRoadsPress.com uh, to get your junior high high school curriculum and uh, Picta Dicta Calculus for Everyone, and of course Old Western Culture Daniel. And all of these classes are available. Uh, courses are available as live classes on the Kepler platform. Yeah, come to our uh, Kepler platform, kepler.education, super easy to find. And uh, I think this will be out in time. Uh, order uh, your Kepler course before February 19th and get 10% off. We're doing that on all uh, Kepler courses uh, up till President's Day. So, Daniel, this has been really fun. Uh, we got to catch up and, and talk a lot of stuff that uh, we don't usually have time to talk about. And so uh, it's been my pleasure to have you on the, on the Consortium Podcast today. This has been great. Thank you so much. All right. God bless, folks. Mm-hmm.